morning, Kettlebrook. Good morning, Kettlebrook. Come on and find a seat, please, if you'd be so kind so we can get started right on time. Troy said to me, you better start us on time today. Oh, okay. Like, have I ever been late before? Okay. Great. Come on in. Um, you still have a minute. No, we'll get started. Well, good morning. Welcome. Uh, my name is Steve Farina. I get the privilege of serving here at Kettlebrook Church as the pastor of Connections and Care. And I want to welcome our audience at home um, to this, our gathering this morning. So grateful, so grateful that you're here uh, joining with us. I want to remind you that we really don't have any announcements uh, that we're going to make today. They are online. You can find them on our website. Or if you'd like to receive an email with our announcements, just uh, mail that in. Give us a call at the church office or mail it at info at kettlebrook.org. We have been having some little hiccups with that, so please let us know if you're not receiving those on Wednesdays. Our vision we're a family of followers of Jesus, helping others follow Jesus. Awesome. Very good. And we believe the good news of Jesus hits on three essential aspects. Our eternal relationship with the God the Father, our everyday submission to Jesus, and our being empowered by the Holy Spirit to share the good news of Jesus with everyone. So glad you're here today. Let's stand together and worship.
There's nothing worth more that will ever come close. No thing can compare your living hope, your presence. Tasted and seen of the sweetest of loves when my heart becomes free and my shame is undone. Your presence, Lord.
Before uh, Troy comes up and shares this morning's message, could we take some time to pray and invite the Holy Spirit to have his way with us this morning? Will you bow your heads? Come, Holy Spirit, fill us. We want to stand before you and we want to confess our sin before you this day. We are broken. You said, Jesus, you said, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We're poor in spirit. And then you said, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Lord, we mourn and we grieve over our sin because it's before our face all the time. We stink to high heaven. We confess our sin before you. And now come, Lord Jesus, and cover us again with your blood, your precious blood, which heals, which is a balm, which binds up the wounds, which cleanses us and makes us like the freshly fallen snow. Thank you, Jesus, for that. Thank you for that gift. And Lord Jesus, I want to ask right now that you would take the distractions from the week and you'd help us to set them behind us and to focus on you and to enjoy you and enjoy your presence. Come and be with us now. Lead us now. And Lord Jesus, we pray that you would put your anointing, your Holy Spirit on Troy this morning as he shares. At the same time, Lord, we also want to remember our partners who are serving in a far distant country, Chris and Beth, who are working with an unreached people group who's in a closed country, and we have to be so careful, Lord, about their identity. But Lord, you know them, and you know them intimately, and you know what they're doing right now, and we just want to ask today for divine appointments, that you would give them favor again and again with those whom they serve. I pray that as they serve as veterinarians, you would use them, and you'd give them divine appointments even now, people of peace, so that they may proclaim the gospel discreetly, covertly, authentically, living it out of their lives. Oh, Lord Jesus, would you bring a mighty church to the fore among that people group? Couldn't it be said, wouldn't it be amazing to be said, there's a church that's growing and prospering. I pray that you take Chris and Beth's work and our prayers and you would use them magnificently 
so that we could storm the gates of hell, that your gospel would not be left alone, but that it would be magnificent to save. Oh, Lord Jesus, be with our, our dear partners. And this morning, be with our dear brother, Troy, as he serves and as he loves us and as he pours out his heart. Give us ears to hear, Lord Jesus. We're paying attention. We want to hear from you. Speak Holy Spirit. Thank you. And it's in your precious name, Lord Jesus, that we have prayed. Amen. Hi everyone, uh, my name is Mark. Um, I am Troy's brother-in-law, and I, I grew up with a faith. Um, you know, I believe in God, I believe Jesus uh, died for our sins, um, but uh, until just recently, I never realized that I believed it in my head, but not in my heart. I, I didn't live it out. Yeah, the first 35 years of my life, um, you know, I was a high school football star, college athlete, um, worked on Wall Street for 11 years, had you know, a very um, successful career there. Um, I, I married Troy's wife's sister. Um, she's beautiful. You know, on the outside, it looked like I had everything. Um, but on the inside, you know, I struggled with alcoholism. Um, I hid things from my wife. Um, you know, I was <laughs> looking back incredibly, incredibly self-centered and selfish. Until August of 2020, Troy and I started reading through a book together um, called The Great Physician. And I thought I had this understanding of who Jesus was and what these stories meant. But as I read them as an adult and with the uh, tutelage of Pastor Troy, um, I just got a better understanding and got interested. I was like, all right, wow, okay. This is different than what I thought it was. You know, Jesus is saying different things than I thought he said. In early January, uh, my wife and I, we had gotten in a fight about my alcohol intake. Um, and I was, you know, I went, you know, I got into bed. Uh, we were <laughs> sleeping in separate beds that night because we were in a, an argument. And uh, I was, I got into bed and I um, started listening to a sermon. Um, and, you know, the sermon kind of really, like, felt like it was speaking to me. Um, and it was about idolatry. And, and it says, like, do you ever feel like your life's falling apart? Like, when things go wrong? Like, you know, if something goes wrong at work or you get in an argument with your wife or, or with a, a friend, you feel like, you know, the world's just falling apart. Um, and I was like, in my head, I was like, yep. Yep, that just happened. Um, and, you know, Keller went on to say, well, that's because you're the number one person, you're the number one thing in your life is you. And, or, or work is number one. And like, if something goes wrong at work and you feel like it's gonna fall apart, it's work is number one. And God is not number one. And for the first time, I, like, it just made sense. I was like, wow, I'm number one. Like, I have been putting God, like, not second, not third, like maybe even last. Like, maybe not last, but not first, not second, not third, not fourth. Um, and for the first time, I like realized 
And I said, wow, I, I need to change that order. Um, I need to put God first and I need to put my wife second and me last. Um, so it was this kind of like eye-opening moment. Um, I guess it was more of like repentance. I, I turned away from myself and, and pointed towards God. Um, and that next morning I woke up with this, this energy, um, this excitement of like, <laughs> wow, Mark, you've been so selfish this whole time. Like now, like God's gonna be first now. Like, you know, it's another chance and <laughs> No, yeah, <laughs> and I, it was just this new energy that I had. Um, and, you know, fast forward from there a couple days, just a couple days, and um, I was just seeing things were, were different uh, in my life. Put on mute. Sorry, there we go. Yeah, praise God. Praise God. Walking alongside Mark um, and having a front row seat to what God has been doing in his life has been a huge privilege and a huge um, joy for me over the past year. And, you know, a bright spot in the past uh, couple challenging years. And, you know, he said it this morning, you just heard him, he, he realized that God was not first in his life, that God needed to have the place of first place in his life. But when he repented and he turned towards God and he had put God in that first place, that something happened, something changed, that things were different. And I think it raises the question, what, what happened? What changed? What was it that happened to Mark? This morning we are starting a series, a new series called Breaking the Discipleship barrier. This whole year we've been talking about discipleship because it's so critical to who we are. We're a family of followers of Jesus helping others follow Jesus. And so making disciples or helping others follow Jesus is so critical to who we are and what we are doing. And yet, when I have conversations with many of you and, and we talk about this, I've just heard there are some things that get in the way of this. Amen? But there's some things that, that, are, that are barriers that make following Jesus and helping others follow Jesus difficult. And so, we're going to talk for the next uh, six weeks about these different barriers. We're going to talk about barriers of having a, a lack of time, having a lack of relationships, talk about barriers like fear and insecurity, talk about, we're going to talk about a, a, a lack of having this modeled for us. But this morning as we kick this series off, I want to talk about the barrier that I believe is the largest barrier to discipleship. It is the lack of the Holy Spirit. I think that the greatest barrier to discipleship is a lack of the presence of the Holy Spirit, a lack of being led by the Holy Spirit, or a lack of being filled with the Holy Spirit. 
And so we're going to look at this through a unique account that happens in the early church that will show us the importance and the significance of the Holy Spirit when it comes to discipleship. And so to do that, I would invite you to grab a Bible with me and open to Acts chapter 8. I know we've got it up on the screen and you're welcome to look up there as well, but I really would prefer if you took a Bible out from under the chair in front of you and opened to page 776 so you could follow along. And sometimes you might just get caught up in the Word and just keep reading and not listen to me. That's okay. And if you don't have a Bible, uh, please feel free to take the one that you, that's under your chair home with you and, and use that. So the book of Acts is where we're going to be. Chronologically, Acts is uh, after the gospel accounts of the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And Acts kind of opens up with not only the, the resurrection, but the ascension of Jesus. That he will ascend into heaven. Before he ascends into heaven, he tells his followers, he says, hey, here's what I want you to do. I want you to make disciples in Jerusalem, into then Judea, the surrounding area, to Samaria, an even bigger swath, and then to the ends of the earth. And the book of Acts is uh, basically the recounting of that happening, that unfolding his commission. Now, right before what we read in chapter 8, there's an account in chapter 7 of the first Christian martyr named Stephen. This guy is stoned to death for his faith in Jesus. And then after he is killed, a great persecution breaks out against the church. Okay? And followers of Jesus end up running away from their homes, okay? And Luke chapter, uh, sorry, Luke who writes the book of Acts in chapter 8, what he does, he's going to tell us an account of a guy named Philip. And what's interesting about Philip is that Luke probably heard these words right from Philip. Because if we were to fast forward to Acts 21, you'll see that Luke spent time at Philip's house. So here we have Luke writing in Acts chapter 8. Why don't you stand with me? You're just going to read the first uh, verses 4 through 8 together. Let me pray first. Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight. But more importantly than any of the words that I would say, Father, I pray that I would get completely out of the way and these words that we are about to read would do what you called and made them to do. That your spirit would be among us, present with us, overwhelming us, and causing us to see and hear. I pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said... Amen. Here we go. Acts chapter 8 verse 4 says this. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in that city, I bet. This is God's word. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So I want to make a few observations. We're going to go through more of this story of Philip, but I want to stop here for a minute and just make a few observations. The first is this one. It says in verse 4 that those who had been scattered, what does it say? What do they do? They preach the word where? Wherever they went. They preach the word wherever they went. I want you to to let that sink in for just a little bit. Because here are these followers of Jesus, and they're, they're being persecuted, and they're fleeing their own homes... And as they go, they tell a story. Do you want to know what the story was? Here's what it was. Oh, man, we have been persecuted. Oh, man, we have been unjustly persecuted. Is that their story? Is that their story? No, it's not. They're proclaiming Jesus Christ. Like, here's our story. Jesus. Here's our story, the good news. They went around talking not about how badly they've been treated, 
As refugees, they were focused on spreading the good news of the kingdom of God and the king of that kingdom, Jesus Christ. Um, back in 1949, the, the national government of China was uh, overthrown by the communist regime. And when that happened, there was uh, over 600 missionaries that were serving there in what was called the China Inland Mission. And when that happened in 1949, all, all of them were forced to leave the country. Now, does that sound like it's a good thing? No, probably sounds like a pretty bleak situation, right? But only four years, within the next four years, over half of those missionaries were redeployed to other parts of Southeast Asia. And the, the, the Chinese Christians who remained behind, they multiplied 30 to 40 times the size what they were when the missionaries were there. Can I get an amen? Isn't that awesome? Okay. That was under severe persecution, by the way. The Chinese church indigenously grew and multiplied 30 to 40 times. Okay, we go, okay, Troy, that was 70 years ago. Right now, today, in the last 10 months, there have been 10 workers, missionaries, in the field, in areas that we as a church are specifically focused on who have been kicked out of that region. Does that sound like good news? Not necessarily, unless you look at the history of the church and you go, we know God's doing something else. He is doing something else. We do not despair. The kingdom of God cannot be thwarted. Can I get an amen? It cannot be thwarted. Think about this. Let's take another step further. Right now, today, unreached, persecuted Afghan refugees are coming to Wisconsin. Perhaps that they might hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are we sharing the good news of Jesus wherever we go, family? What is the story that you're sharing? When you talk to people, what is the story that you're sharing? Is it, you know what, oh, the world is horrible. Is that the story? Is that what we lead with? Oh man, people make me mad. I'm so mad at everybody. Bah. I'm just mad. Is that the story that we lead with? Or do we lead with this? Jesus Christ is amazing. He's amazing. He's still doing work. His kingdom can't be thwarted. Is that the story that we lead with? By the way, when we look at what's happening, it says all those who were scattered shared. Not just the apostles. Everybody. Why? Was that a, is that a natural response when you're a persecuted refugee to talk about, like, how amazing God is? Probably not a natural response. You know why that happens? Because of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit always insists on Jesus Christ being known. Why, why would the, the underground uh, uh, Chinese church under persecution, like, why would they grow and proclaim Christ at the risk of their lives? Because of the Holy Spirit. That's what he does. He says, we must, make much, we must make much of Jesus. So back to our narrative here. Philip, he goes, specifically we're talking about Philip, he goes into a city of Samar a Samaritan city. Now, did the Jews and the Samaritans, they like each other? Are we sure, right? The Jews and Samaritans like each other? No, not a lot of love going on between the Jews and the Samaritans. It goes way back, it was like a thousand years before this. The ten northern tribes kind of defected. They made Samaria their northern capital instead of Jerusalem. Then the Assyrians came and took some people out of there and brought in foreigners. So it was like this mix and melding pot, ethnically, religiously. And then when the, they came back from Assyria, they decided they're going to make their own temple in Mount Gerizim instead of uh, in Jerusalem. Not a lot of love going on. And yet Philip goes here 
to a Samaritan village and he's like, hey, Jesus is amazing. He's proclaiming Christ. Do you know why? You know why Philip's proclaiming Christ? Because when you have the Holy Spirit, that's what you do. You talk about Jesus and how amazing he is. Philip doesn't proclaim how badly he was persecuted by the Jews and try to garner like favor with them, maybe support and say, hey, let's go back and take my home back. I mean, he doesn't do that. He doesn't complain and whine about how one of his dear friends, Stephen, was just stoned to death. That's not his account. He's like, Jesus is awesome. And not only does he say Jesus is awesome, he demonstrates this powerfully by casting out evil spirits, healing people. Is that, is that natural? No? Not natural. You know how he does that? Do you want to guess? Does anyone want to guess? The Holy Spirit, you guys are getting it this morning. Holy Spirit. And so it says there was great joy in the city, but there was one guy in the city specifically that's struck by what Philip's doing. He's a guy named Simon. We're going to look at, learn about him as we keep reading. So open back up to verse 9. We're going to keep going here. Verse 9 says this. Now, for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is the divine power known as the great power. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his magic. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles that he saw. Let's stop there. So, a couple weeks ago, I was, um, I was playing tennis with a child that will remain nameless at this point. And this child had never played tennis before in their lives. And about 10 minutes into playing tennis, this child looks at me and says, I'm goaded at tennis. Now, some of you are like, I don't know what that word means. So let me tell you what goaded means. Goaded is an acronym, uh, GOAT, greatest of all time. Okay, Some of you young folks probably know what that is, right? And so when you say you're goaded, it means you think you're the best of all time. I said, you have been playing tennis for 10 minutes. You are not goaded. You may be a goat for thinking that. You're ridiculous, but you're not goaded. Simon here, it basically says, Simon boasted that he was goaded, okay? doesn't say that, but it's like Simon thought that he was someone great. And he wasn't the only one that thought that. Like, everybody thought he was awesome. And not just people who were gullible and, like, you know, didn't have education or I don't know what. It says everyone from the least to the greatest in this city thought he was great. He had amazed them. But then... Philip starts bringing the good news of the kingdom and Jesus, and not only do they believe this news, they're baptized. And Simon's baptized too. The guy who was amazing everyone, now he's amazed. The one who had everyone following him around, he's following Philip around everywhere. And it says he was constantly amazed. One of my mentors uh, and dear friends, he says this phrase that he used. He says, if you are not regularly amazed or afraid, you're probably not following Jesus. If you're not regularly amazed or afraid, you're not probably following Jesus. And when I, he says afraid there, he means like afraid in terms of like you are being really pushed outside of your comfort zone. If you're not regularly amazed or afraid, you're probably not following Jesus. These people are constantly being amazed. 
And the word of what has happened gets back to Jerusalem that all these Samaritans had believed and they were baptized. That Jesus' commission that he says in, in Acts 1-8 is beginning to happen, right? The gospel is being preached now into Samaria. And Luke takes us on a little bit of a detour here in the next few verses. So let's, uh, before we pick up the rest with Simon, I want to look at what happens here in verses 14 through 17. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. When they arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Okay. Um, this is weird. This is a strange text. Okay? What is going on? So if you've been raised in an evangelical tradition, you'd understand. You're like, wait a minute. So you believe in Jesus Christ and then you receive the Holy Spirit. So what is going on here? Why do, do they not have the Holy Spirit? And then the apostles come and they lay hands on them and they receive the Holy Spirit. What is going on? If you look back in Acts chapter 2, we find this. Peter says this. He's speaking to a huge crowd of people. They're cut to the heart. They hear the gospel. And, he, and they're like, what do we do? What should we do? He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And yet, this is what happened right here, and they don't receive the Holy Spirit. The apostles come up and have to put their hands on them. What is going on? Is this an exception? Now, some of you were raised in a church tradition where you went, you kind of maybe were baptized as a baby, and then you went through confirmation. One of the reasons you maybe went through that process is because of these verses right here. Professor Howard Marshall says these are some of the most extraordinary verses in the whole book of Acts. Because it's, it's, it's a little, it's strange. Some of you maybe grew up in a charismatic understanding of, of kind of like how salvation works. And so there's like this, you're like, oh, you get baptized by, the, by water and then you're baptized by the Spirit. One of the reasons that maybe is what you've gone through is because of these verses right here. And yet some would say, no, no, this is, a, this is not a prescription of how things have to work. It's describing just what happened and it was a very unique one-off situation. Um, if we were to move forward in the, uh, the unfolding of the early church, you're going to see a whole bunch of things otherwise happen. Just two chapters later, Peter is at the house of a Gentile uh, centurion, and it says that the, they, the people received the Holy Spirit, and then they were baptized. And so you're like, what? What is going on? Later on, Paul, uh, this guy Saul, who started this whole the Stephan persecution, the whole persecution we're talking about right now started with a guy named Saul, he uh, meets the resurrected Jesus Christ, and he becomes this, this amazing missionary. He goes, and he's in the church in Corinth, and he says, hey, I'm actually glad that I only baptized a couple of you. And so you're like, wait a minute. Now, so Paul didn't have to be the guy that baptized or laid hands on everybody. What is going on? Were the Samaritans believers before the apostles came? Were they not? Here's what I want to say. Legitimate arguments can be actually made on both sides. The book of Acts, what we find is that people receive the Holy Spirit in a number of different sequences and contexts. But I think in this specific context, there's a decent reason for why it played out this way. Do you guys remember the, the, um, the rift between the, the, the Jewish people and the Samaritans? Do you remember that? We just talked about it like five minutes ago. Okay. 
I wonder if perhaps God sent Peter and John because perhaps these Samaritan followers of Jesus would have been seen as maybe lesser than because they were Samaritans. And so perhaps God's saying, no, 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 you guys go with your, your apostolic authority and you lay your hands on them and show them this is what my church should look like. Perhaps this would have been otherwise the first church split, so to speak, okay? And I'll take it a step further. I'll say perhaps, I wonder if God sent Peter and John for just the sake of John. And you'd say, Troy, why would, why would God do that just for John's sake? Let me throw out just a hypothesis. I wonder if Luke, who's writing this book of Acts, would remember back as he's recounting this narrative to chapter 9 in the Gospel of Luke, where he tells this other account. And what happened was, Jesus and his disciples, they were on their way to Jerusalem, and they had to go through this Samaritan city. But the Samaritan city would not receive them, did not give them hospitality. And so John and his brother James, they turn to Jesus and they say, John says this. He say, Lord, do you, wanna, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Can you imagine? Jesus is like, oh yeah, we do that all the time. You, you've seen me do that a hundred times, right? Where does that come from? Here's John and James. Hey Lord, do you want us to burn these guys up? We'll just call fire down from heaven. It says... But what does it say? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Perhaps, perhaps I wonder if God sending Peter and John to a Samaritan village specifically so John could see the irony with his own eyes. That at one time he wanted to call down the fire of destruction on these people, but now he gets to actually call down the fire of the Holy Spirit upon them. The fire of life and breath. Isn't that irony amazing? That's so awesome. Perhaps, and I want to press into each of us in that and say, perhaps God is putting you in, or someone else into your life that drives you crazy, that you don't like, that's not like you. Perhaps you would like to call fire down on them, if you could. But perhaps instead God is saying, how about this instead? Perhaps would you pray for them? That the fire of my spirit would come upon them? Would you humble yourself? At the end of the day, and I want to be careful here, but at the end of the day, I really don't think we need to get caught up in exactly how we receive the Holy Spirit. Because it happens in a lot of different ways in the, books of, in the book of Acts. What we need to get caught up with is the importance of the fact that we need to receive the Holy Spirit. That we need to receive the Holy Spirit. You might say, yes, Troy, but if I don't know how to receive the Holy Spirit, how am I going to receive the Holy Spirit? It's not fair. We'll come back to it. I want to finish with Simon, and then I'll give you some thoughts. Verse 18. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying out of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, May your money perish with you, because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry, because your heart's not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you were full of bitterness and captive to sin. And Simon answered, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said will happen to me. 
When they had testified and proclaimed the word of the Lord, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan uh, villages. So when Peter and, and, and John, they're, they're praying for people, they're receiving the Holy Spirit, Simon's like, hey, I'm in. He's like, I'm in. This is fantastic. He's like, what do you want? Like, how much? You know, he's like, I've got cash. And Peter, you know, directly, because Peter is always pretty, pretty direct, he's like, may your money perish with you. Because you think you can buy the gift of God? You can't buy the gift of God. You have no part in what we're doing. Your heart's not right with God. You're full of bitterness. And you're captive to sin, which I just want to pause and have us look back on that and say, what is going on? Simon, this sorcerer guy, is full of bitterness and captive to sin. Can we just think about that for a minute? This is the guy who said, I'm someone great. This is the guy who everyone else said, he's great. This is the guy who had everyone's affections. And yet here he is, full of bitterness and captive to sin. He's only trying to leverage the, the Holy Spirit to make himself great. And so Peter calls him. He's like, you need to repent. And does he repent? If you look, I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced. He said, well, no, you pray for me. That's not what repentance is. Family, one of the greatest, if not the greatest barrier to discipleship, one of the greatest barriers to us following Jesus and helping others follow Jesus is a lack of the Holy Spirit. If you're not, if you're not making disciples and you have no desire to, if you're not desiring to follow Jesus or help others follow Jesus, it might be because you don't have the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit always insists on making Jesus known. That's what he does. He will always insist on proclaiming Jesus. If you, if you, have, if you have no desire to read the Word of God, to grow in relationship with the Father... It might be because you do not have the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit will insist on us drawing nearer to the Father. If, if you sin repeatedly and are not in any way grieved by that sin, if, if the Word of God has no authority as if it doesn't apply to you, it might be because you don't have the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus said that the Holy Spirit will convict us of sin. If, if you, on the other hand, are, are self-righteous, and you, like Simon, think you're great, because you do all kinds of great things, it might be because you don't have the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit will convict us of what righteousness is, and that righteousness is only found in Christ. And family, I, I say this, I'm, I'm sitting down on purpose. I'm trying to be very gentle here because I'm not trying to judge this. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm not trying to um, make you doubt your own faith. I'm just trying to give you some diagnostics. 
so that you can assess and pinpoint perhaps what's going on in your life. And so you might be thinking, Troy, okay, so maybe that is my issue. Maybe I don't have the Holy Spirit. Maybe, or maybe I have Troy, maybe I've received the Spirit, but I'm not regularly being filled with the Spirit or walking by the Spirit. What do we do, Troy? Well, here's the, here's the struggle. There's a tension because every time in the New Testament in Acts where it talks about the Spirit, it's something that's being done to someone. It's passive. They just receive. It's being done. They're being acted upon. And you're like, okay, not helpful. How do I engage in this? There's, there's one thing that seems to be a way that we can engage. And it's repentance. Repentance seems to be very central to a reception of the Holy Spirit. One of the first things that Jesus said when he came was he said, the time has come. The kingdom is at hand. Can you help me? The time has come. The kingdom is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. That's what he says. And you might say, well, isn't repentance just for people who don't believe in Jesus? They need to turn their life around and get, get right with Jesus? No. Repentance is for Christians, too. We just read through a bunch of the, the churches in Revelation, and almost every single one, Jesus tells the church, repent. Turn. Repentance is this turning to him, turning away from sin, turning towards him. Repentance is this idea of dying to ourselves and emptying ourselves so that God might fill us with his Holy Spirit. And so I think this is the place for us to begin. To bring these things before God and say, God, I don't want to be captive to this anymore. I don't want to be captive to sin. I want to be captive to you. I, I need your Holy Spirit. Father, I need your Holy Spirit. Have you prayed that? Have you ever said that? Because we can't receive this amazing gift from God if we are holding on to something else. To how great we are, to our careers, to our relationships. To receive his gift, we have to have open hands. That means we can't be clutching other things, captive to other things. And it will be more than just when this happens, it will be more than just something that we think in our heads. Author and pastor John Piper gave a really helpful message about this. It's called, What Does It Mean to Receive the Holy Spirit? I put it up there just so you can maybe make a note of it because uh, he does a fantastic job of walking through all this. And in this message, he references that in the book of Acts, there's a number of different ways the Holy Spirit is received, but each time there's experienced effects. Here's what he says in this next slide. In the book of Acts, everywhere, the receiving of the Holy Spirit is described, it is experiential. And what I mean is that it's not just a local inference, sorry, logical inference that you know has happened to you only because something else happened, right? Instead, it has effects that are clearly discernible. In the book of Acts, a person knows when he receives the Holy Spirit. It is an experience with effects that you can actually point to. And he says this, the ones mentioned, the experiences that are mentioned are speaking in tongues, prophesying, freely praising the great things of God, boldness and power and witness, obedience to God. And he says whether it's a one-time thing, a two-step process, or an ongoing sequence of fillings, one thing is clear. Luke expects the receiving of the Holy Spirit, however that happens, to be a real, identifiable experience of the living God, not just a logical inference from a human act of will. And now I know some of you might say, Troy, that's a little deflating, because you might be thinking, I've never spoken in tongues or prophesied. That's okay. God gives different gifts to each of us, okay? Last week, Tom Atwater was here, and we had a training afterwards, and I, I, it, was, it was bizarre even for me. He's like, I got a headache. Someone else must have a headache. And someone else is like, I got a headache. So he prayed for him. 
I've never had that happen to me. I'm sorry, folks, okay? I'm your pastor. I'm just being honest, okay? Now, do I believe that that can happen? Yeah, absolutely. This is not a gift that I was given in that time. You might have different gifts. It may not be speaking in tongues or prophesying. However, perhaps this is what you've had. Perhaps um, you have been increasingly inclined to not only read but obey God's word. That only the Spirit does that. Only the Holy Spirit does that. Perhaps you have been grieved greatly by your sin. Not to just overwhelm yourself with shame, but just be like, oh, God, I don't, I don't, I hate sin. Only the Holy Spirit does that. Perhaps you've desired, against what is natural, to, to praise God instead of yourself. To build his kingdom instead of, of yours. To take risks for the sake of the kingdom of God. That only happens by the Spirit. It looks a bunch of different ways. But Piper says it again so well when he says it this way. He says, there is no promise in the book of Acts that everyone who receives the Spirit will speak in tongues or prophesy. But there is a promise in Acts 1.8 that when the Spirit comes upon us, we will receive power. And in this power, we will be able to evangelize the whole world. That promise is made to everybody on whom the Holy Spirit comes, not just on a few. So I go back, family, and I say this. The greatest barrier to making disciples is this. If we do not receive the Holy Spirit, if we are not led by the Holy Spirit, if we are not seeking to be filled by the Holy Spirit, we will not make disciples. But if we are empowered by the Holy Spirit, we cannot help but make disciples because the Holy Spirit always insists on making Jesus known. In fact, if you look back at the overview of this whole account that we just read about Philip, I want to look at the first verse and the last verse. Here in verse 4 is what we see. Those who had been scattered, read this with me, preached the word wherever they went. That's the beginning. And at the end of this narrative, it says, when they had testified and proclaimed the word of the Lord, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem. What were they doing? Preaching the gospel. The Holy Spirit. This is what he's doing. The Holy Spirit will always insist on making Jesus known. The only way that we'll make disciples is by being empowered by the Spirit to do that. I want to actually wrap things up here by having Mark share a little bit more about what happened to him. So let's listen again as he unpacks more of his story. So I all of a sudden had this desire to worship and this desire to disciple and to evangelize and to reach out to to my dad, um, my friends, and just kind of tell them that like, hey, what you know about Jesus might not be true. Like you need to like really look into this more um, like I did. And like, it's like, this guy, this guy's the, the truth. <laughs> um, and additionally from there, um, as I, you know, continued on, um, you know, reading, like reading these books, the book, Ugh, reading the Great Physician book with Troy, meeting with him every week, and now getting an excitement to like read the Bible. I'd never really dove into the Bible. I was just reading this book with Troy and listening to sermons. Now I wanted to read scripture. Um, I had this better understanding for scripture. Um, and also there was this, almost this new avenue of communication through prayer um, or even just reading, the, reading scripture there was this avenue of communication if I had like a theological question or some sort of doubt or anything like my, my questions kind of were answered through scripture um, 
and it just everything kind of just clicked and made sense more um, so when you know maybe like a week or so two weeks go by from there and I remember talking to Troy on one of our weekly morning calls and I was like remember when I asked you in October what it was like or I'm sorry remember when I asked you in October how I would know if I had the Holy Spirit and what it was like I was like Troy I know now looking back and what was going on it is these three things that I think really stand out it was a desire to worship um, and that is to a desire to watch and worship like, like a sun with the Sunday gathering to listen to worship music um, when I, I would never before then like I would never listen to worship music and now it's like all I really seek out the second was this this desire to evangelize and to disciple those that are close to me um, those that I, I really know that might that don't have that close of relationship with God um, and then the third was just a better understanding and grasping of scripture and of the gospel and being able to speak it clearly and understand it so a desire to worship a desire to, to, to disciple and just a clear understanding of scripture um, is what I think that really stood out to me as how I realized that the presence of the Holy Spirit was in my life and guiding me um, and for me, it was kind of night and day that, that morning in January that I woke up um, after the night before repenting and turning to God and, and putting God first, um, replacing myself as number one, putting God first. Uh, the next morning when I woke up, um, not only was I energized and excited and, um, you know, feeling this desire to worship and this desire um, eventually to disciple and this, this, this understanding of scripture that I, I realized that I, I now had um, but I also for the first time in my entire life had this freedom from the desire to drink alcohol um, I was for, for you know the last 20 years um, captive to alcohol um, alcoholism and that next morning I for the first time in my life I was like I don't need to drink anymore um, so I was freed from that um, and you know, it's now the first week of September, and that was back in January. So it's been nine months, and I have not touched a sip of alcohol, and I have no desire to. Um, so that's a that's a pretty big part of, of all of this as well. Um, I praise Jesus for that. Praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. What's that? Did he make up with his wife? Yeah, he did. They're, they're watching right now. You want to say hi? <laughs> they're also plugging into a local church. They live in South Carolina. Uh, this last week, they um, opened their ice cream shop for the first Bible study. Um, they had, um, within the local church, they're partnering with some, some ministry partners down there, and they're opening up their shop to host a Bible study there. Had the first one this week. Isn't that awesome? Praise God. You think about what, what the effects were. He wants to worship. He understands the word of God. He doesn't want to drink. He doesn't want to sin. He's going to sin. Does he, does he want to drink? And he wants, did you hear it? He wants to make disciples. Did you hear that? It happened 
He's like, I want to make disciples. I got to tell people about Jesus. Perhaps you're here this morning and you've never really believed the good news of Jesus, really believed it. Perhaps you've never really believed that Jesus is the only truly great power, that Jesus has the power over our sins and the captivity that sin brings. Perhaps today is the day that you would repent and you would say, I am going to empty myself and I am going to give myself to God that he would fill me with his spirit. Maybe, maybe today is the day you say, I want to really believe in Christ. Maybe you have believed, but there's something kind of blocking the power of God in your life. And you need to repent and ask that God would fill you, fill you with his spirit. Fill you with his spirit. Maybe you've believed and you're simply not recognizing the work of God that is going on all around in your life. Whatever the case may be, I want to give us a time to do a turn and talk here. I'm going to give us five minutes to do a turn and talk. But this is a different turn and talk than we typically do where you turn and talk to somebody else. I want us to spend five minutes turning. And by that I mean repenting. Turning and talking to God. I've got three kind of guided prayers on this next slide. I'm hoping you can read it. I wanted to get them all on there. I'm not going to read them now. I'm going to um, just pray in a second here. I'm going to ask you that you, I, I want to pray that one of these statements might really connect with you and that you would spend the next five minutes having a turn and talk with God. That the Spirit, His Spirit would not only be present among us, but fill us. That we'd empty ourselves to be filled with the Spirit of God. Holy Spirit, come now. Holy Spirit, May we experience your presence. May we be led by you. May you fill us. Fill us this morning, Spirit. Speak to us now, we ask, because only you can do this. Give us ears to hear in Christ's name. Take some time.
It's hard to uh, interrupt this time, but I'm going to do so. Um, but the way I'm going to interrupt it is to invite you to stand. And go ahead and stand. We're going to sing another song, and when we here at Kettlebrook, when we pick songs, we try to pick songs that we're singing together. We try to sing songs where we're saying we more than I. Except this song says I. It says, there's no place I would rather be. And it says, I want more. And it's an invitation to the Spirit to fill us and to give us more. So we'll sing this with your whole heart. I want more of you, God. 
place I would rather be. No place I would rather be. Oh, no place I would rather be. And here in your love, here in your love. Can I uh, can I ask our prayer team to come to the front? Um, today might be the day for you to say I'm done being captive if that's where you're at we'd love we'd love to lay hands on you and pray for you this morning now some of you might say I, I don't know if I want to go forward for that I think it's a small price to pay take that step forward take that risk but just in the event that perhaps the Spirit is doing something else, if you're in this room and you'd be willing to lay hands and pray for somebody else, can you raise your hand? If you're in this room and you're just anywhere in this room and you'd be willing to pray for somebody else, raise your hand. I don't want to take away from these amazing people at the front of the room, but they're amazing brothers and sisters all throughout this room. And if you're here and people have a hand raised around you, you may be led to prayer, to, prayer, to have someone pray for you. And you can either then turn to your left, to your right, someone behind you, in front of you, or come up here. It is our prayer that we as a family would be filled with the Spirit, filled to overflowing. And as a result, we would share, proclaim Jesus Christ, how amazing He is. Make disciples, because the Holy Spirit always insists on making Jesus known. I'll say it again, the Holy Spirit always insists on making Jesus known. Family, may we go, but may we only go with the presence of the Lord. Lord, if your presence stays, we don't want to go. And if your presence leaves, we want to go with it. Wherever you go, you have to lead us. Father, I pray that we be led by your Spirit and as a result, bring glory to your name. Empower us to share the good news of the gospel. Empower us to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples to follow your son Jesus and help others do the same. I pray it for your sake and your glory in Jesus Christ's name and all God's people said, amen, amen. God bless. Everyone, Troy and Ryan here want to say thank you so much for gathering with us virtually. We pray that Jesus Christ was lifted up and exalted not only in the space that we are in here, but in the space that you were at as well. And want to let you know too, if you're viewing us and joining us online outside of our local community, uh, this in no way is meant to replace that local leadership, that local involvement at that church where you are locally. We pray that it would uh, supplement it and encourage you to engage more deeply. And if you're part of the Kettlebrook family but have been watching online, of course you know that you are a gift and a blessing to the body here. So we want to make sure you're plugged into a group. If you're not part of a group, please reach out to us and let us know at info at kettlebrook.com.